Luke chapter 4. That's where we're going to be today. We're going to look at verses 31 through the end of the chapter, 31 through 44. Uh, we're going to look at that text this week and next week. Uh, and so as we look today, um, I think what we're going to see in Luke's writing and his purpose in writing in the text is this, that Jesus' word is absolutely authoritative. Jesus' word is absolutely authoritative. Luke wants us to see that and he wants us to submit to that. If you think uh, most people on the planet don't live as if God's word is authoritative. But Luke is telling us here it absolutely is. And what would life look like if we lived under the authority of his word? What would would it look like for you and for me and for the world if we lived under the authority of God's word? And so that's what we're going to look at together. Luke chapter 4, starting with verse 31. Let's stand. Follow along as I read. And he went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and he was teaching them on the Sabbath. And they were astonished at his teaching, for his word possessed authority. And in the synagogue there was a man who had the spirit of an unclean demon, and he cried out with a loud voice, Ha! What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him, demon had thrown him down in their midst, he came out of him, having done him no harm. And they were all amazed and said to one another, What is this word? For with authority and power he commands the unclean spirits, and they come out. And reports about him went out into every place in the surrounding region. And he arose and left the synagogue and entered Simon's house. Now Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a high fever, and they appealed to him on her behalf. And he stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. And immediately she rose and began to serve him. Now when the sun was setting, all those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him, and he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. And demons also came out of many, crying, You are the Son of God. But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew that he was the Christ. And when it was day, he departed and went into a desolate place. And the people sought him and came to him and would have kept him from leaving them. But he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to other towns as well. For I was sent for this purpose. And he was preaching in the synagogues of Judea. Let's pray. Father, uh, thank you so much for your grace. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your mercies. We praise you for your word. We don't want to just say that, Lord. We're thankful for your word. Your word is powerful and it is effective. It is the authority over our lives. And so we are grateful for it and we want to come to it as the authority over our lives. And we confess to you that we need you for us to be able to approach you that way. We need your spirit to help us to submit to you. We need your spirit to help us to look at this word as good word and an authoritative word. So please help us in this time that you would be glorified through us. In Christ's name, amen. Go ahead and have a seat. 
Luke is highlighting here in the text the authority of the word. Again, I want to remind you, he's not necessarily in this book giving us lists or events in chronological order. They are orderly. Remember at the beginning uh, of the book, he, he's, he's writing to Theophilus an orderly account. But that doesn't necessarily mean a chronological account, but an orderly, a purposeful account where he's teaching in what he's writing. That we may have certainty, he says, of the things that we've been taught. So he's teaching. He wants us to know the Messiah has come and his word is a word that is to be submitted to. That's what Luke's hoping through this, that we will see that God's word is absolutely authoritative. Jesus' word, absolutely authoritative. And then in seeing that, we'll submit to that. That we'll submit to his word as the authority. Psalm 138 verse 2 says this, I bow down toward your holy temple and give thanks to your name for your steadfast love and your faithfulness. For you have exalted above all things your name and your word. Above all things, nothing equals you. Nothing equals your authority. Nothing is greater than his word. His authority is unparalleled. His authority is unequaled. And Luke wants us to see that and submit to it. You see here in the beginning of the text, verses 31 and 32, and he went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and he was teaching them on the Sabbath, and they were astonished at his teaching for his word possessed authority. Again, here he is teaching in the synagogue. We don't want to miss what a blessing this is for the people, right? This is Jesus, the Son of God, the Holy One who has come, the same One who created all things. God spoke. Jesus is creating. Colossians 1 telling us that, right? So this is the one who has created. And he's here teaching. The very word that created teaches in the synagogue. And here's this blessing of these people. It's no wonder that they were astonished. If he can speak and create worlds, then he can speak and their hearts would be awakened, right? If they only have ears to hear, and here he is teaching in the synagogue again. And they were amazed. It's no wonder that they would be amazed. This is different. This is a a different kind of teaching and a different kind of man who's bringing this teaching to them. What do they say there? What, What is this teaching? His word possessed authority, it says. They were astonished at his teaching. For his word possessed authority. This wasn't the same kind of teaching that they were used to. This stories that were passed down from rabbi to rabbi to rabbi. This is different. There's something going on in the teaching of this man. And it's astonishing the crowd. They're amazed. They're in awe of his teaching. Luke writes about the demonstration of the authority in his word. His word possessed authority. And then in the following encounters, and we have three encounters in the text here, Luke is demonstrating the the authority that they were amazed about. And so I want to look at two distinctives of Jesus' authority seen here in the text. Two distinctives of Jesus' authority that's seen here in the text. The first is this. It's a powerful authority. His authority is a powerful authority. And second, it is a gracious authority. 
His authority is a gracious authority. First, it's a powerful authority. Three encounters here where we see this. The first in verses 33 through 37 where uh, Luke writes that there was a man sitting in the synagogue there. As Jesus is teaching, there's a man sitting among the people and he's possessed by a demon. There's an unclean demon living in him, it says in the passage. And, and as he's teaching, this demon cries out from this man. The, the text here says, Ha, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. I mean, this alone, right? If this is all that Luke gave us, should give us a hint of the authority of Jesus and his word. That here's this spirit, this demonic spirit who can't keep quiet because the presence of this man and his authority is such that he cries out, I know who you are. You are the son of God. Can you imagine the crowd? Can you imagine the room? Here's a demon that that they would have feared crying out, you are the holy one of God. It says there in the verse 34 that the, the, the demon says, Ha, what have you to do with us? If you see, there's a note there underneath, uh, probably in your Bible at the bottom. This says it could be translated, leave us alone. There's an alternate translation for that. I think that's probably uh, better. When we read in our minds, ha, um, we get the sense of, Uh, a fearlessness, right? That this demon would be almost responding to Jesus without a fear of him whatsoever. That's not the sense we get through the Gospels, right? I mean, you think of the uh, the demoniac when Jesus casts out, uh, he says, what is your name? And he says, Legion, because there were many demons inside this man. And he casts, do you remember what the demon or demons say to Jesus? They're pleading with him, right? Don't send us into the abyss. Send us into these pigs. Cast us into the pigs, not into the abyss. It's kind of a similar thing what this demon here is saying. Is it, are you come to destroy us? Don't destroy us. Don't let this be the time. Send us into the pigs instead. That's not a fearless. There's an awe. There's a respect. Even as this demon cries out, you are the Holy One of God. It's not a fearlessness but a respect and an awe of who is before him. The demon is speaking here on behalf of all the demons, right? What have you to do with us? Have you come to destroy us? There's an acknowledgement in those statements. They know that this man has the authority to destroy them by his word. They know that he's coming at some point to do that. They know who he is. I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Jesus, it says, rebukes the demon, speaks to the demon, be silent and come out of him. And what does the demon do? Submits. It obeys, right? Does what creation does, it obeys. Submits to his word. Jesus' word is powerful. His authority is a powerful authority. We see that authority again in the next encounter. It says it goes, he goes from there in verse 38. He arose and left the synagogue and entered Simon's house. 
Again, this is another evidence that Luke isn't writing chronologically here, right? There's already a relationship with Peter. That's Simon. Do he enter Simon's house? Now, Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a high fever, and they appealed to him on her behalf, and he stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her, and immediately she rose and began to serve them. She comes into Simon's house. Here's Simon's mother-in-law. She's sick with a high fever, and again, Jesus speaks. And the fever obeys him, leaves her. What kind of power is this? What authority is this? I want to mention here about what Jesus does with Simon's mother-in-law. Luke tells us that he rebuked the fever. Mark doesn't use that word. Mark's account in chapter 1 of Mark, which I encourage you to read at some point, but in Mark 1, his, uh, his, his um, account of this says that Jesus took her by the hand and lifted her up and healed her. So why does Luke use those words? Why does he include that he rebuked the fever? Well, he's teaching. The, the, the extended text here, the, uh, the context of what we're reading in, in this section of chapter 4 is a purposeful text to teach that Jesus' word has authority. Luke is telling us the Messiah, the Christ has come and he's inaugurating his kingdom. The kingdom of God is coming. This fever doesn't belong in that kingdom. As Jesus is coming and bringing the kingdom and teaching the kingdom, what what he's showing is this doesn't belong in my kingdom. Sin does not belong in my kingdom. Illness, sickness doesn't belong in my kingdom. Fevers don't belong in my kingdom. And Jesus is coming to inaugurate that kingdom and showing that. No more sickness. But we need to remember as we read these texts, and we're going to talk more about this next week. That's what we're going to spend our time talking about is the kingdom of God. This is, as we look at uh, verse 43, he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to other towns as well. This is the first kingdom of God statement throughout the rest of the book. And just over and over and over and over and over, we're going to see kingdom of God, kingdom of God, kingdom of God, kingdom of God. And so next week we're going to talk about what is this kingdom as we prepare to go through the rest of this book. What is the kingdom of God? But as Jesus here is coming and bringing the kingdom and teaching the kingdom, we need to remember that Jesus is inaugurating the kingdom, not consummating the kingdom here. He will. There's a day coming and he will return and there'll be no more sickness. Sickness will not be a part of that kingdom. It will not be any longer. No more sin, no more death, no more weeping, no more sadness. And Jesus is bringing that kingdom. And so Luke is not here in the text teaching us and and giving us an encouragement that we have permission to go and rebuke fevers or debt or anything else that won't be in the consummated kingdom. He's teaching us. And what he wants us to see is not go rebuke fevers, but his word is absolutely authoritative. That's what he's teaching us. Jesus' word has all authority over fevers and over me. We have a third account encounter here too. 
we want to look at, verses 40 and 41. Now when the sun was setting, all those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him, and he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. And demons also came out of many, crying, You are the Son of God. But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew that he was the Christ. Jesus, it says, spent the evening and night healing people. All sorts of diseases were healed. Sicknesses healed. Demons cast out of people. Showing authority over sickness. Power over demonic activity. It says that as demons were cast out, they would cry out. You are the son of God. That's amazing. I mean, I just try to wrap my mind around this crowd and these demons coming out and acknowledging you are the son of God. And what must, I mean, you have in the text, they were astonished, right? The people were astonished at his teaching. So you have this on one hand and then on the other hand, intense, it had to be intense fear, And awe, what is going on here? What is this? That these demons would cry out in in acknowledgement of his authority and his power. You are the son of God. They're announcing to the crowd who he is. But what does Jesus do? He silences them. They're coming out and announcing, this is the Christ. This is the one you've been waiting for. This is the one you've been promised. That's what the demons are confessing. And Jesus says, be silent. Don't say that. Why would he not want them to acknowledge the truth of who he is? It says, he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak Because they knew that he was the Christ. That's why he silenced them. Why wouldn't he want them to know that he was the Christ? And the answer is, they didn't understand or know what the Christ was to be like or what his kingdom was supposed to be like. As we're going to see as we we talk about the kingdom of God, the kingdom that Jesus is coming and bringing is a countercultural kingdom. It is an upside-down kingdom. And the people didn't get that. You think of the disciples as you go through the gospel accounts. Mark, in particular, is over and over again. Jesus says to them, they're going to kill me. They're going to arrest the Son of Man, and they're going to put him to death. And their minds just couldn't get it. They, they believed he's the Messiah, but their minds just couldn't wrap around. And that's why when they did kill Jesus, they were baffled. The disciples were found where? Hiding in fear, thinking that their Savior was dead. Without hope. They just, their minds just couldn't fit around this idea of what the kingdom was meant to be. And what the Christ came to do. And what Christ came to do was not to set up his kingdom. You think of uh, John where they were going to force him to be their king, it says. But that's not what he came to do. He came to serve and to die. And then to call others to do the same. And they weren't ready for that. They didn't understand that. They didn't understand that that's what his coming meant. It says he rebuked the demons and would not allow them to speak. And so what did they do? They stopped speaking. 
they obeyed. Jesus' authority is a powerful authority. He speaks and demons leave and fevers flee and diseases leave and demons are silenced. And the second distinctive we see about his authority is that it is a gracious authority. His authority is gracious. It is good. You think through the fullness of this text and captives are released by his word. The oppressed are being set free. Just think of verses earlier. If you were here last week and we talked about Jesus standing up and reading Isaiah 61 in the synagogue and then sitting down and the eyes fixed on him and he says, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And then we see it. Good news preached. Liberty. Recovery of sight. The year of the Lord's favor. Jesus speaks and a man who has been oppressed and in bondage by a demon is released from his captivity. It says, having done him no harm. It's gracious. It's just the graciousness of his authority. Simon's mother-in-law, just gracious authority. Here's a woman who's sick, potentially dying with a high fever, and Jesus brings gracious words bringing healing and relief. Many come to him. He speaks healing and setting them free from the oppression they knew. It's graciousness. But we, we need to look at the text and see his compassion. This is not robotic in any sense of the word. This is not Jesus just going through the motions. It said that people came to him all night long, and he touched them. He healed them. He loved them. He, he laid his hands, taking, his, uh, taking Simon's mother-in-law by the hand and lifted her up and healed her, set her free. This is fulfillment of what was promised. And it's filled with compassion, love of the Father, love of the Son, love of the Spirit. We, you and I, can tend to drift into a, a serving or a ministry that is out of obedience or just out of duty, out of obligation. I can come and, and be tempted to preach out of obligation rather than out of compassion. Or Sunday school teachers might be tempted to, to teach a lesson out of obligation just because that's what they signed up to do and not out of compassion for those who need to hear God's word. But Jesus never, ever did that and never does that. His word is a gracious word. His authority is a gracious authority. And he's filled with compassion. And the healings that he brings are gracious healings. And when he commands something, we can be certain that it is for our good. It's a powerful authority and it is a gracious authority. And so how are we to respond? How do we respond to this kind of authority? A kind of authority where demons come out of someone and, and proclaim you are the son of God. You're the holy one of God. An authority that is filled with grace and compassion. 
bringing healing and restoration to, to people, no matter what their background was, just loving and compassionate. How do we respond to a grace and an authority like that? Well, we have in the text three wonderful responses. Look again and see, first starting in the middle with Simon's mother-in-law. Verse 38, he arose and left the synagogue, entered Simon's house. Now Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a high fever, and they appealed to him on her behalf. And he stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her, and immediately she arose and began to serve them. I love this. Here's this woman. I don't know how old she was. I don't know. She's lying there sick. She may be dying. She certainly feels like she's dying. Sick and with this high fever. And in comes Jesus. And Mark says, takes her by the hand. Luke says, speaks to her. And and she's healed. This fever leaves her. And what does she do? How does she respond? She gets up and serves them. Can you imagine this? I mean, here, immediately, she gets up off of this table where, or bed or whatever it is where she's been lying and thinking that she may die and feeling horrible and the words out of her mouth are something like, can I get you some coffee? I, I love this. I mean, this is just real practical obedience here, right? She doesn't get up and say, I promise. All to Jesus, I surrender. I promise I'm going to serve better. I promise I'm going to do this. I promise this and this and this. She just gets up and she serves. She's encountered the authority of Jesus' word and her response is to serve. And ours should be the same. Our response should be identical. We've encountered Your word. We've encountered the authority, the powerful and gracious authority of your word. And how ought we to respond? We ought to serve. Just as she served. We ought to love just as she loved and just as he has loved us. An evidence of believing Jesus and knowing that his word is authoritative over our lives is that, that we serve him. We do what he tells us to do. The second thing that we see, the second response we see is in the previous encounter. In verse 36, after he cast the demon out, it says, they were all amazed and said to one another, said to one another what is this word for with authority and power he commands the unclean spirits and they come out and reports about him went out into every place in the surrounding region. The second response we see when people encounter the authority of Jesus is they tell others. These people have seen the authority of his word, his powerful and gracious authority, and they spread the news about him into every place, it says. Isn't that the sensible response? Amazement leads to announcement. Always, amazement leads to announcement. Think about it in your life and in my life. Kid stories, fish stories, soldier stories, work stories, 
success stories, things that amaze us, what do we do with them? We talk about them. We tell other people about them. When we're amazed at something, we don't keep it to ourselves. We pass it on. You wouldn't believe what so-and-so did. You wouldn't believe what happened at work this week. You wouldn't believe the fish that I caught. You wouldn't believe whatever it is. We want to tell. We want to tell. Because amazement leads to announcement. I'm not trying to say in this that there's equal risk in telling someone about my son Judah as there is in telling someone about Jesus. Certainly there's more risk. Certainly there's more at stake. Certainly it's a bigger deal, right? But amazement will lead to announcement. And the more we submit to his word, the more we come under the authority of his word, the more we find joy in his word, the less and less and less we're going to fear what's at stake. The more we're amazed at him, the less we're going to be concerned with what's at stake. The cost will seem less significant. And so we come, we ought to come to him in awe and amazement just as they were in amazement, astonished at him and at his word. What is this word For with authority and power he commands. The third thing we see is in verse 42. When it was day, he departed and went out into and went into a desolate place. And the people sought him and came to him and would have kept him from leaving them. The third thing that we do in response to seeing this powerful and gracious authority is seek after him. They sought after him and would have kept him from leaving them. Are we seeking? Are we seeking after this one whose authority is powerful and gracious like that? There's there's something that Luke leaves out of his account. If you go to Mark, I encourage you to go to Mark's account and, and read it. Not right now, just sometime. But in Mark's account, it says that when when evening came, that all of these people came out. All of the the region, all of the surrounding area, everyone comes out bringing the sick, bringing those who are oppressed, and Jesus is healing. Person by person, this compassionate, laying his hands on them, looking into their eyes and loving them, spending time with them. All through the night. It's not a a situation where he goes and and all of these people come out and Jesus stands up on a stage with lights blaring and just holds his hands out over the whole crowd. Father, you know, heal. And it's just all done at once. This takes all night long, Mark says. And do you know what the next verse says in Mark? Early the next morning, he arose and went to a desolate place. To pray. Man, I'm so humbled. Humbled by that. How tempting is it for us? Man, I spent an hour and a half at church yesterday. Gave and gave and gave. And oh, I would have, I'd get up Monday morning, but I'm just so tired. Jesus spent all night ministering. Person after person after person, what does he want to do? What is, what is the craving in his heart? He sought 
relation with his father. I want to be in communion with my father. He gets up early and prays. Are we seeking? Are we seeking after him like that? Are we like the people here? They would have prevented him from leaving. They were going to hold on to him. They're going to keep him from leaving. Is that the kind of seeking that I'm seeing in my life? No matter the circumstances, no matter the busyness, no matter whatever it is, I'm going to rise early because I know I'm desperate for one. And apart from the one, apart from his powerful and gracious authority, then I'm not going to love and I'm not going to serve and I'm not going to whatever it is. Apart from him, I can do nothing. And Jesus displayed it, displayed it for us. If we seek him, are we seeking him like that, longing for the fellowship that we're so desperate for, finding it in his word and in prayer? I want to give you a word of caution before we end. How do we respond? We respond like we see in the text. Serve him and talk about him. Seek after him. But I want to warn you, don't be like the demons. You may hear that and you may think, well, obviously, how could I be like the demons? I wouldn't be like the demons. But don't be quick to answer. Just think about the text the demons experienced the authority of Jesus' word just as surely as Simon's mother-in-law experienced the authority of Jesus' word. It tells us they know exactly who he is. The demons have seen him in his glory. They know what Isaiah 6 In the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a throne. They know what that looks like, not just what it reads like. But they don't serve him. They acknowledge him. You are the Holy One of God. They have right doctrine, but they don't serve Jesus. The demons experienced the authority of Jesus' word just like the crowd did. But they don't want us to tell others about him and they don't enjoy, go, and boast about his goodness and proclaim the gospel hoping that others would know. The demons believe. James 2, 19 tells us that. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder, but they do not seek after him. Don't be like the demons. Serve the Lord. Speak of the Lord. Seek after him with all of your heart. To see Jesus' words as authoritative, to live under his powerful and gracious authority is to do what he says. And one of the gracious commands that he's given us is to remember him by taking the bread and taking the cup, to do it in a matter and means in which we're thinking and, and worshiping and remembering the sacrifice of our Savior. That's grace. That is a gracious command. 
in that, as he commands that, he tells us that he's going to give himself to us in a special way as we take the bread and the cup. That's what Paul says also in 1 Corinthians 10, where it says that we'll participate. We're participating in the body and blood. We're fellowshipping. That's what that word means. The same as in Acts 2, that the, the, the apostles devoted themselves to fellowship. That's participation. Same word. That's what we're getting in communion. We're receiving in communion. We take the bread and the cup and we're taking Jesus. We're receiving from him. He's giving himself to us in a special way. And Paul tells us as we take the bread and the cup in 1 Corinthians 11 that Jesus is coming in a very real sense. He shows that even in how he warns the people. He's graciously, graciously, Jesus is graciously giving us himself. But Paul's stressing there in, in, in chapter 11 of 1 Corinthians to them to not take it in an unworthy manner. In, in, in their case, you have people that are gathered together taking the bread and the cup and they're not counting others as, as, as more significant than themselves. They're putting themselves first. So you have people rushing in and you have people who have much and they're just gorging on food and getting drunk and then you have the poor who are completely left out. They're not loving. They're not, they're not believing the gospel in the midst of remembering the gospel. And Paul warns them. Why does he warn them? Because Jesus is coming. He's fellowshipping in the taking of the bread and the cup. And Paul warns them because that is not limited to those who take it in a worthy manner. What Paul's saying is, there's not a distinction where, where if you are born again and, and you believe and you're coming together with the body and you're taking the bread and the cup in a worthy manner and, and believing the gospel and, and striving to live in light of the gospel as you take the bread and the cup, then Jesus is present Then Jesus is coming. Then there's fellowship with Jesus. But if you don't, then there's no. It's just meaningless. He's saying the opposite. It matters either way. Jesus is coming. He's gracing us with himself no matter who we are when we take the bread and the cup. Therefore, he says, don't take it in an unworthy manner. That's why some of you are sick and some of you have fallen asleep. Why? Because Jesus comes giving himself fellowship with himself in the taking of the bread and the cup. And to those who take it in a worthy manner, it's a grace and blessing. And to those who don't, he still comes, but he's coming in judgment. His presence is just as real. His authority is just as authoritative. But it comes as judge in those cases. That's why as as we take often, I will caution you, if you don't know him, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, there's no purpose for you to take the bread and the cup. You wouldn't want to because Paul says we're proclaiming the Lord's death. And if you don't know him, if you don't have a relationship with him, what we encourage you to do is let the bread and the cup pass. Don't take it in an unworthy manner. Think. Think through the text. What what is God's word written about him? Why were these people amazed? Why did demons cry out, you are the Holy One of God? What is significant about this guy? Why did they do that? Think through those things. And, and what I would plead with you is, is receive Jesus today. Don't partake of, 
bread and cup. Partake of Jesus today. He's standing offering himself to you. Believe in me and you will be forgiven and you will live with me forever. Your sins will be washed away. No condemnation, it says, for those who are in Christ Jesus. So receive him, partake of him. And if you do know him, if you believe in him, you've been born again, then as you get the bread and the cup, don't don't be careless with it. Don't ignore it. It's purposeful. He says, remember, this is my body that's broken for you. This is my blood that was poured out for the forgiveness of your sins. So think and believe the gospel. And if there's sin that needs to be confessed, repented of, then do that. And know, believe God's word that is authoritative. If you confess your sins, he's faithful, he's just to forgive you of all of your sins and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. And then take the bread and cup in joy, knowing that what they stand for is why you are acceptable. Not because of your works, not because of your righteousness, but because of Jesus. Let me pray. Father, thank you for your goodness and your grace, Lord. We thank you for your mercies that are new every morning. If it were not so, we would die. We would be hopeless. We are desperate for your mercy and you have lavished it, your word says, upon us. You've lavished your grace upon us. And so help us in this time. Search our hearts, Lord. Would you please search our hearts and help us? If there's anyone here who doesn't know you, Lord, would today be the day of salvation for them? Would you please take your word that are written on this page, Lord, that you graciously gave to us and just plant them deep into their hearts? Produce a harvest that is life. Cause their dead hearts to beat for you. Bring confession and repentance, Lord. Forgiveness from you. I pray that today they would receive you and believe. I pray that those who know you, Lord, would believe the gospel. That we wouldn't just hold the bread and the cup, but we would do as you have commanded us to do. We would remember it's all because of your body that was broken. It's all because your blood was shed, Lord. That we stand righteous before you. You have declared us clean, holy, blameless in Christ. And so we praise you. We thank you. And we come to you believing your word In Christ's name, amen.